सहनावतु सहनौनक्तु सहवीकवाहै तेजस्वीतमस्तुम विदिषावै ओ शांतिशापूर्णमदूर्णमद पूर्णमुदच्यते पूर्णस्य पूर्णमाद्य पूर्णमेवशिष्य शांति 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 श्रुतिस्मृतिपुराणालय नमा भगवत्द शोकशंक शंकर शंकराचार्य केशव बानरायण सूत्रभाष्यकृत वंदे भगवतपुन ईश्वरो गुरुरात्मे विभागिने व्योमेहाय दक्षिणामूर्त नम From the third verse, we chant Shri Bhagavan Vacha Lokes Mindvividhanishtha Pura Prokta Mayanagha Jnana Yogena Sankhyanam कर्मयोगेन योगिना कर्मयोगेन योगिना कर्मेन्द्रियाम्य आस्ते अनवाइडेबल and as much as it is not a person who performs action but generally a person is made to perform the action <coughs> we find that usually whenever we do something the action is prompted by generally a desire in a desire within ourselves that prompts an action and the desire is for what desire is usually for satisfying my likes and dislikes meaning that i want to get something which i like 
or would avoid something which I dislike. So behind desires, the motivating force behind desire is the ragadvesha. So even when we think that we are performing action with free will, our free will is really influenced by the attachment and aversion. Because I like something, I have no choice, my mind makes me go, go after that. I hate something, again I have no choice, my mind wants to get rid of it. So thus, behind the desires usually are raga and dvesha. So that is why Lord Krishna says that, as long as raga dveshas, likes and dislikes are there, as long as there is an inner pressure, everybody feels a pressure of dislikes and dislikes, as long as that pressure is there so long, a person does not have freedom not to do something. Because even if I do not want to do something, even if I want to be quiet, I want to be inactive, that pressure within me forces me, compels me to do something. So Arjuna said, Nayotche, Lord, I will not fight the battle. Lord Krishna says, you do not have freedom not to fight. You follow? You don't have freedom not to fight. You may have freedom not to do this particular action. But don't think that you will give up action as such. You will do something else. All in the 18th chapter, Lord Krishna says, Yada hankara maashritya nayotseti manyase mithyesha vyavasayaste prakrutistvam niyokshari. Here Arjuna, out of this ego or pride, you think that I don't need anybody's advice. I, can, I know what I can do. I want, you know, I'm, I'm quite capable of deciding what I want to do. And suppose you do not listen to me, even though I'm urging you to engage in this duty. Suppose you say that you don't need anybody's advice. You insist that I will not fight. That you can do. But then, that is that decision on your part of not doing something. Mithyesha vyavasaya said that vyavasaya, that decision or determination will prove to be false. Prakruti stvam niyokshari is your own nature which will compel you to do something. You may not do a given task, but you will do something else because there is pressure within. So that's, that's what Lord Krishna says, nahi kaschit chanapi a person cannot remain without activity even for a moment. Karite karma sarva because those ragadveshas born of the nature, you are born with that, as later on this chapter itself will say, that they compel a person to do something. Suppose somebody insists that no, I am not going to do. So in this sixth verse we were told, karma indriyani sanyamya ya aste manasasmaran. Somebody keeps under check all his organs of action. As I said, he meditates. At least he, he does. Outwardly looks like the person is meditating. Because the body is steady, that you can do. Hands are folded, that we can do. Eyes are closed, that also we can do. And thus, it may look like he is a yogi, he is meditating. Meditating upon what? On, on Ishwara or self or whatever. But no, 
इंद्रियार्थान मनसास्मरण आस्ते हिज माइंड एज इज अनदर एजेंडा बिकॉज माइंड एज फैसिनेशन फॉर सेंस ग्रेटिफिकेशन फॉर सेंस प्लेजर और ग्रेटिफिकेशन माइंड ऑलवेज वॉन्ट्स टू बी हैप्पी ऑलवेज सीकिंग ग्रेटिफिकेशन फ्रॉम वन सोर्स ऑफ द अदर If it does not get inside from within itself, it will run out seeking gratification. So, reason why usually mind runs out is because it is seeking gratification. Because when we bring the mind to ourselves, it gets bored. There is, you know, vacuum inside. There is dullness inside, and so mind gets bored, gets restless when it comes inside because there is no happiness inside. There is sadness. There are the attachment aversions. This is what is inside, and so when the mind comes in there, it just gets fed up with that. It wants to run away to what it thinks is the source of happiness. Whether mind's perception is right, wrong, or is a different matter. But mind has a perception. This is what will make me happy. This is what will give me comfort. So it wants happiness, wants comfort, and whatever it looks upon as a source of happiness or comfort, it runs there. So even if you want you to engage your mind in meditating upon something, say Dakshinamurti, Lord Krishna, yourself, whatever object of meditation you have, and you know you have decided, if mind does not get pleasure out of that action of meditation, and this is our common experience, whether you want to do japa or puja or meditation. we find that mind usually runs away for the simple reason just as a butter i mean a, a honey bee always will go where the honey is and so also mind is like honey bee it will go where happiness is and if it does not enjoy the act of puja does not enjoy the act of japa or meditation you cannot keep it too long you can constrain it for a while it will run away like constraining a child who wants to play you you force him to come in put him into study how long as long as you are supervising as soon as science finds i mean child finds out my mother has gone for some activity as some act but answer it suppose you are so strict that you are standing there okay behind the back even then so what the child has a book in front and then what does it do Whatever it is missing out there in the street, that's what he keeps doing. Mother thinks that my child is so studious because the mind has its own. As I said, mind has only one agenda: seeking gratification. Understand this. Mind always wants gratification, either through sense pleasure, also gratifying ego, gratifying emotions. It always wants gratification. this is a habit of the mind whatever your understanding is the intellect is one thing but then mind has this habit so unless we can provide the mind the gratification within it will not remain there for any length of time with pranayama etc you can perhaps restrain it for a while but then because the mind is restless it is unhappy inside it will run away that's why lord krishna says rather than simply trying to restrain the mind and make it inward make it meditate 
which is not practical because the mind is not ready. So what should you do? As long as the pressure of likes and dislikes is there, so long let that pressure be released through action. So that's what is said in the seventh verse. We read it last night. Let us read that again. Yastvindriyani manasa Niyamyarabhate arjuna Karmendriyaih karma yogam Asaktasya vishishyate Yastu, there is a tu. Tu means however contrasting the person in the seventh verse to the person in the sixth verse. Who was the person in the previous verse? Who was trying to restrain his mind when the mind is not ready. So, the seventh person describes the seventh, a more practical person. Recognizes that there is a lot of pressure within me. There are desires in there. There are likes and dislikes are there. They are there. So, there is no point in forcing or suppressing them because we cannot suppress them too long. The right way is to give them an expression. So, therefore, how do you give expression? Give it a controlled expression. Expression everybody gives. It is called a samsari who allows his mind to do whatever it wants. So, whatever the desire is, you allow the mind to fulfill that desire. That's not what Lord Krishna is. Because what happens? If we simply allow the mind to fulfill its ragadveshas, meaning, to acquire and achieve what you want and to get rid of what you don't want, if you allow this mind to continue that agenda, then this pressure of ragadveshas will increase, will not decrease. When you perform some action out of raga, attachment, I want this, I want to experience, enjoy it, or dvesha, I want to get rid of it. Even if you are successful, Suppose Raga is satisfied, Dvesha is satisfied, you are successful in getting rid of what you hate and successful in acquiring and experiencing what you love. Okay. But what happens? Mind now has a taste. So it wants more of it. So it wants more of what it loves or it wants to get rid of what it hates. So this tendency of the mind keeps on growing. It does not subside. So satisfying the Raga Dvesha of the mind is like pouring butter into fire. As Swamiji was saying yesterday, somebody wants to extinguish fire with, with gasoline. You know, It's like pouring gasoline into fire. Similarly, satisfying the ragadvesha of the mind is like pouring butter into fire. That fire of ragadvesha will always increase, will not decrease. So what do you do? You want to give expression to Ragadvesha, you want to exhaust it because they are creating pressure and creating restlessness within. So for becoming free from the restlessness, for gaining a certain quietude of mind, we must slowly and slowly exhaust this Ragadvesha. That's the scheme. Scheme is to exhaust this. So, so that mind instead of being controlled by Ragadvesha likes and dislikes is under your control. Then you can do what you want to do. Then you can meditate, you can do japa, you can study, you can listen, you can do what you want. Hopefully you want to do something like that, otherwise there is no need to do this. Why do you want to bring the mind under control after all? 
because you have better things to do. Otherwise, right now the mind is doing it anyway. And if there is alright with you, this is not needed. Bhagavad Gita is basically addressed to a person who has a value more than simply artha kama, comfort and pleasure. Want more than comfort and pleasure. When person recognizes that, there is something more in life. That comfort and pleasure give me some kind of satisfaction or gratification, which is a limited gratification. Again, as I said, my uh, thirst for gratification keeps on growing. It's a life of bondage when you recognize that, when there is a value of freedom. And the first level of freedom is freedom from attachment and aversion or likes and dislikes. If you value for freedom, because freedom means happiness, really. In fact, Lord Krishna says in one place also, and Shankaraji explains, that when does the mind feel happy? Oh Swamiji, when my desire is satisfied, I am happy. Is it the fulfillment of desire that has given you happiness? Or, there is another aspect also, that as long as desire is there, as long as the pressure of Ragadvesha is there, so long the mind is agitated, is uptight, anxious. Moment when the desire is satisfied, or Ragadvesha is satisfied, what happens? Momentarily, mind becomes free from the pressure of Ragadvesha at that moment, because his desire is satisfied. So happiness that you feel is not by fulfilling the desire, it is by gaining momentarily a freedom from desire. When you fulfill the desire, momentarily desire is gone. At that time, mind becomes free from the pressure of desire. It is that relief which is what is called happiness. So we interpret all the time that I became happy because I satisfied my desire. So I keep satisfying desire. Not realizing that happiness is not in satisfying desire, it is becoming free from desire. So then, what is the intelligent way of living? It is such that we become progressively free from desire. That is what Lord Krishna is teaching here. How to gain progressively a freedom from desire of Desire is same as Ragadvesha. Because if you examine any given desire, you will find that behind the desire, there is an agenda either of satisfying some attachment or some aversion. So the desire, the Ragadvesha are cause for desire. <coughs> so, okay, now we give expression to likes and dislikes. In such a manner that the likes and dislikes get exhausted and they do not grow. So whatever existing quota of likes and dislikes we have, we want it to exhaust and not increase. So that process is called Karma Yoga. So Lord Krishna says, Yastu Indriyani Manasaniyamya. Then you have this value. That I want to become free from likes and dislikes, I do not want to remain their slave, and therefore I am not going to satisfy likes and dislikes, I want to exhaust them. If this understanding is there in the mind, in the intellect, then you can use your free will or the resolve and tell the mind that, mind, look, I am not going to satisfy likes and dislikes, you are going to do what I want you to do. 
Because the determination is the understanding is there. The Ragadveshas are my enemies and not my friends. Later on Lord Krishna will say, Tayor Here Arjuna, do not come under the sway of dislikes and dislikes. They are your enemies. Looks like they are your friend because when they are satisfied you feel happy. But no, in fact they are robbing your peace of mind. If this is understood, suppose now I have value, even forget about moksha. A simple value of becoming free from likes and dislikes. So that I, I have a freedom with my mind. Even that value also is enough. That's what we call antahagan shuddhi. Mind becoming free from likes and dislikes is the purification of mind. As Lord Krishna says, Yoginaha, karma kurvanti, sangam chaktva, atma shuddha. The yogis, the intelligent people, they perform their actions for atma shuddha, for purification of the mind. So moksha knowledge is the second step. First important step is purification of mind. And that is within our grasp, we can understand. Because when you are in, in, in let us say that you uh, are visiting some beautiful spot. You go to Alaska and look at all those glaciers. Or go to Bahama or go to Hawaii and look at that you know, beautiful ocean, Swami. This is blue. You can see so, you know, you can see the depth of the ocean. So when you see this, or you see Titan, you know, huge mountain. Suppose when you see these things, you feel so happy. At that time, you know, what is the reason for that happiness? Because momentarily the mind is free from all its attachment, aversion, all anxieties, everything has gone away. So that thing has an impact upon the mind. So such... This nature is an example. It can be music also. It can be a person whom you like, whatever. It can be anything that impacts your mind. We are not capable of getting in a ragadvesha. So we expose ourselves to something which is capable of ma- making me feel ragadvesha. That's why we go to these places. Because it has so, such an impact on us that momentarily mind becomes free. And you have, you're happy. That's why I want to listen to music. Because it has an impact, it makes your mind free momentarily from all ragadveshas. So you'll find that whenever you experience happiness of that nature, it is when your mind has become free from likes and dislikes. So understand that what is happiness? Happiness is state of mind. What kind of state of mind? The mind which has become free from ragadveshas. How long will that happiness last? As long as the freedom of Ragadvesha is there, so long you are happy. If some other desire comes, you are watching these glaciers and you know enjoying them, all of a sudden the thought comes, the global warming, oh Swamiji, all the glaciers are receding. What is happening to Himalayas? Himalaya is a huge storage of water, ice. But then the glaciers are receding so fast, they say that, I, now I... In, by 2029, there will be no Ganga and no Yamuna because all the glaciers would have melted away. If it goes on at the rate at which it is going on, I look at those glaciers and then this thought comes, that's gone. If Dvesha comes to me, I become unhappy and the prospect of human Ganges will not be there. Why are you talking? 
So those, then immediately some dvesha has come, some raga has come, that peace of mind, the happiness is gone. So in the best place also you can be unhappy. When that place or thing fails to impact you, and when some more powerful force comes which creates raga dvesha in your mind, the happiness is gone. So this simple equation, when am I happy? The moment when my mind is free from the pressure of likes and dislikes or attachment or aversion. When am I unhappy? When it is under control of attachment. Simple equation. So you forget about moksha. Even in our day-to-day life also, if you want to be happy. And who doesn't want to be happy? But people do not know this equation. They think that happiness is is a function of fulfilling desire. So more desires are fulfilled, happier you are. That is the kind of relationship people think is. Vedanta teaches us, more free you are from desire, happier you are. If that is understood by us, and as I say, to understand this, apart from reasoning, you can go back to your experience of happiness and see what happens to you. Not when you are eating pizza, but when you are listening to music, or when you are, you know, when the sattvic happiness is, see what happens to your mind. At that time, mind is free from all anxieties, all anger, all resentment, all attachment, all aversion. Mind is momentarily become free, in spite of myself, because of impact of something else. Our Swamiji gave an example of a slapstick joke. If somebody tells you a joke and you laugh, the laughter represents what? Freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from attachment and aversion. Like this man tells his servant, go and water the plants. Servant says, sir, it is raining. So what? Take an umbrella and go. <laughs> Something like this. You know? so suppose you laugh. This is called a slapstick joke, you know. But anyway, when for a moment also when you laugh, at that time mind has become free. Then again everything comes back and then you become again, you become very serious. Wait for another joke. That's what Swamiji does, you know. That's all he can, you know, he can do. Again he finds spaces like that. Another joke. Another joke. This is typical American way that we are just accustomed to being entertained, that's all. And we have lost the capacity to entertain ourselves. Because of the idiot box, where all these entertainment shows come, you keep on watching them and laughing and enjoying. So what happens with our children also? The teachers have a hard time in the schools. They are just bored. They are not interested in what the teacher is talking about. They expect anybody to entertain them. The only way they can pay attention is, if teacher is, is, is entertaining, he can tell jokes and make the whole thing very amusing or funny, then of course he is a popular teacher otherwise. So that is what is happening to us, by the way. Anyway, but what I am saying is, when is the mind happy? When it becomes free from this pressure, that's all. So happiness is function of freedom from pressure, not fulfilling pressure. So therefore the people have wrong idea. And that's why they're all chasing all the time the objects of desire. <clears throat> we are not enemies of desire, we are nothing against desire. Understand Vedanta is nothing against, we are just analyzing desire. So there is a very famous word which says, Najato kamanam 
उपभोगेन शाम्यति फेमस वर्स फ्रॉम महाभारत अटर्ड बाय ए ग्रेट किंग हुज नेम वॉज ययाती एंड दिस पर्सन एक्सपीरियंस प्लेजर फॉर वन थाउजेंड इयर्स Even though he grew old, you know, he had, he had always lived a life of pleasure. He was a good person, but still, he became old, and he was still not satisfied with his life. So, what do you do? So, I, I once he told him, "You ask uh, your four sons if they give you their uh, youthfulness, then you can have it. You can if you can exchange your your uh, old age with their youthfulness." So, right? He called his sons one by one. Who will do that? He said, "No, I'm sorry, but this last one, Pururava, he says, 'Okay, that have it. I guess you've not yet understood the secret of life. Doesn't enjoy it. I don't mind. I know what happiness is, so I don't care whether I'm young or old. So this is how you see how serving the parents, serving the father, he gave away his youth, and Yayati got his youth. One thousand years he enjoyed these pleasures." And at the end, this was his conclusion: "Na jato kama kama na upabhoge na samyati." That the desires can never be satisfied by fulfilling them. Havisha Krishna vartmeva bhuye eva vivardate. Just as a fire keeps on growing by havisha, when you add some fuel, fuel into fire, so also fulfilling desire become very famous statement. <coughs> Therefore, Lord Krishna is teaching how to slowly get rid of these ragantveshas. We have them; it's a it's a fact. Get rid of them. Yastu indriyani manasaniyamya. So, first, what is important is this understanding that it is firam from ragantvesha, which is function of happiness and not fulfilling ragantvesha. So this is an, this understanding is that then with that understanding I control my mind and sense organs. Look, sense organs or mind, you are not going to engage in fulfilling ragadveshas no more. Then what do you do? Pratipaksha bhavana. What is pratipaksha bhavana? You know, that's what yoga shastra teaches. Whenever any undesirable thought occurs in the mind, like anger, like greed. Like jealousy, like temptations, like indulgence. Suppose this arises. What is pratipaksha bhavana? You deliberately replace it by a thought from the opposite standpoint. So likes and dislikes are because of one standpoint. What is the standpoint? Likes and dislikes have arisen from this understanding that happiness or comfort is out there. What is the truth? Truth is that. Happiness is nature of the self. So every time mind comes up with desire, based on likes and dislikes, then we replace it. We can tell the mind, "Look, mind, you what you are seeking is wrong. You are seeking happiness from something else. It's not there. Happiness is in your own self. Therefore." It is not by fulfilling your agadvesha or self-centeredness that will make you happy. It is by becoming other-centered that you become happy. It is not by remaining a country consumer that you become happy. You become a contributor that you can become happy. So, rag fulfilling agadvesha is called consumption. What is contribution? Not fulfilling my agadvesha, fulfilling somebody else's agadvesha. 
Ragadvesha you fulfill. But not your Ragadvesha. Somebody else's Ragadvesha. Whose Ragadvesha? Ishvara's Ragadvesha. That's easy. Ishvara also is Ragadvesha, you know. Ishvara means what? It is an order. The Ishvara in manifest before us as a whole universe. He also is Ragadvesha. What is Ragadvesha? He likes dharma, he does not like adharma. Ishwar also is an agenda. Because when dharma prevails, then there is harmony in the society, then Ishwara can lie down on his serpent bed and nothing to do there, you know. He can retire. He is supposed to be protector of the world. But what does he do? In Kshir Sagar, he is reclining on his serpent bed in his yoga nidra. That's what he likes. He doesn't like us to wake him up and bring him you know, down and things like that. So what he has done? He has created this dharma. As long as dharma prevails, righteousness prevails, values prevail, so long the world will function by itself. So he need not have to interfere, he need not have to do anything. If a dharma becomes powerful, then there will be disorder in the society. If dharma is there, there is order. Adharma, disorder. So Ishwar also likes dharma. He doesn't like adharma. So all right. Now satisfy his ragadveshas. Dharma, you prefer adharma. So you change ragadveshas, let that there be. But instead of ragadvesha of the ego, let us replace him a ragadvesha of Ishwara. Mind is a love. You know, mind functions of ragadvesha. Mind says, okay, now you do this. You like dharma? Raga, Adharma, Dvesha. What is Ishwara would like? Ishwara, you see, if he is the father, of, he is the creator, we are all his children, right? And what would a father or a parent would want for the children? Would want them to be happy? In the ninth chapter, Lord Krishna says, Pitahamasti Jagadaha, Mata, Dhata, Pitamaha, I am the father of this universe, I am the mother. So we are all his children. So he would want that all the children be happy. So what should, how should sibling, uh, siblings uh, conduct themselves with each other? And when I was sibling, I never did that, but now I realize how we should do. When you are growing up, you snatch away things from a younger brother or sister, you know, or not give them, not share with them, but that's not right. That's if you identify with your ego. If you identify with the mother or father, what would they want? What would mother want? That you share with them. Make them happy. So that is Ishwara's likes and dislikes. He likes that his siblings that you know, should be happy. You should make other siblings happy and not make them unhappy. So contribute to their happiness. Rather than being selfish and not care for them, because if they are unhappy, you will be ultimately unhappy also. Because then that fellow will go and complain to the father and then you will get a slap and ultimately will come back to you. <laughs> when nobody there, you snatch away. But then he, 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 that time he cannot say anything because you are more stronger than him. But when the father comes home in the evening, then he's, he has more influence than you have because he's younger one. And then later on, you get one. Therefore, what is a good policy? Good policy is to keep them happy. If they are happy, 
then ultimately he will also, how are you my child? Is, oh, my, you know, my brother gave me this. Okay, father becomes happy with you. Okay, we can go for a movie. So that happiness will ultimately come back to you. This is true. Ishwar also will do that. If you make his children happy, then Ishwara will make you happy also. It's naturally. So even if you function on the basis of Ragadveshas, not the Ragadvesha of Ahankara or Ego, Ragadvesha of Ishwara. That's called identification. This is called Aradhana, Ishwara Aradhana. That's the principle of Karma Yoga. So Manasa, let there be this clarity in our mind or in our intellect as to what the basic values are, what is the real way of being happy? That's all Bhagavad Gita teaches. Vedanta teaches how to live life happily, that's all. Very practical thing. So it doesn't talk of any esoteric thing at all. No experiences, etc. You know, just, you know, just make your life happy to begin with. People always want some out of this world experience. But live this life properly at least. Niyamya Arabhate Arjuna Karmaendriya hi Karma Yogam. The previous fellow restrained his Karmaendriya, sense organs of action, and did not do anything. This fellow is more practical. He puts them into action. Hands and legs and speech are all meant to perform action, to participate. So, Karma Yogam Arabhate. This person performs his duty, performs his action. Meaning that he gives expression of his ragadveshas in the form of action. And for performing action, you require organs of action. You require hands and legs, speech, etc. But while he does it, what is the spirit? Asaktaha. See, there is Lord Krishna's karmendiyahi, karma yogam, asaktaha. Asakta means unattached. What is unattached? Unattachment means not pouring butter into fire. That's all. There is an attachment. That's simple. Then, you know, that is just, it is intelligent thing to do. Is it not pouring butter in the fire? Your house is on fire and you pour petrol in there or gasoline. Makes no sense. So, unattachment is not pouring butter into fire. What is this, Swamiji? You see, more you satisfy ragadveshas of the ego, more strong it becomes and ego becomes more and more demanding. Therefore, detachment means not identifying with the likes and dislikes of ego. Rather than that, identifying with the likes and dislikes of Ishvara. A simple equation. So what is karma yoga? It is nothing but bhakti. Bhakti means devotion to the Lord. What is the devotion? Identifying with Ishvara. Normally we are identified with the ego. And that is that results into ragadveshas and that's what how we generally conduct ourselves. So karma asakta without attachment, attachment to ego, attachment to your likes and dislikes. Now, what else do you do then? As I said, attachment to the likes and dislikes of Ishvara. <clears throat> he likes dharma. He likes you to contribute. He likes you to help. He likes you to, you know, make other people happy. That's what any, any parent would like. So Ishvara likes that. I, so, I, you know, identify with the 
life. So you can ask this question. It's a big question, of course, not easy to answer. How would Ishvara do if he was in my place? How would my father, how would my, the easier thing, how would my Guruji do if he was in my place? That's easier. If Puja Swamiji was in place like this, what would he do? Would he snatch ever? Would he give? Would he make this person, would he be compassionate or would he be cruel? Would he share or would he withhold everything to himself? What would he do? Ishwar ko bhi chodo, doesn't matter. That is, that is why Guru is so important. He becomes a role model. And we can ask this question, how would he act? Identify with that. And try, it's difficult to act like that anyway, not easy, but still. It is your value. Then you will be a compassionate person. You know, talk of compassion. <coughs> Daya. So kindness. Compassion. Automatically will come because, so ideas de-identify with the ego and identify with something higher. Ishwara is of course most ideal to identify with. But if you cannot, some cause which is higher than the cause of the ego. That is why Mahatma Gandhi very practically created in people a strong attachment for the freedom. Millions and millions of people could identify with the cause of Swatantra, freedom of the country. And what did they enable, what did they enable them to do? When you have cause in your life, which, which is dear to you, you can do anything for that. People were ready to give up their life for that purpose. They did not mind being tortured, whatever. It is a freedom of our country. Just an example. What a cause can do to the life. Right now my cause is what? Satisfying my needs, that's all. I and mine, that's all that matters to me. Self-centeredness. Right now nobody else has a place in my life. Only that counts is I first and then mine. Either mine also comes after I. So this you have to grow, this is called growth, stretch, this is stretching the ego. Include others. That is one famous statement, include me out, no, include me in, you know, not include me out. One of the, I think, presidents of United said, include me out, means exclude me. Now, include me in. So, if our life becomes more and more inclusive, because Vedanta teaches us this is the most inclusive vision of life. What is Ishwara means what? Or what is this self? Which means that ideally in true nature, self includes everything. Purnameva avashishyate, what remains is Purnam. I mean Purnam, what is Purnam or complete? All inclusive. If we live a life of exclusive, excluding others, we are never true to our own self. That's why we create conflict in our own self. Because by being self-centered or excluding others, we are violating our own nature. Because in reality, I the self is all inclusive. So the value should be in keeping with the nature of the self. Therefore the value should be of inclusive, including, rather than excluding. At least I should not justify my excluding, excluding others. I may find it difficult to include others because I'm still a lot of insecurities there. It's not going to be that we include the whole world, you know, and we 
we perhaps uh, lay ourselves open, but slowly. At least the trend in life should be in the direction of including others. <clears throat> so, unattached means what? Unattached to the ego. Unattached to my own likes and dislikes. On the other hand, attaching myself to some higher cause. Bhagavad Gita present Ishwara is a cause, which is a higher than highest cause. Karma Indrehi, Karma Yogam, Asakta, Savishishyate. This person is special. He will succeed in life. So this is a way of living successfully. Gita teaches us the, how to live life successfully. <clears throat> Alright, Swami, so what should we do now? What do you mean by uh, unattached? What do you mean by performing action with the attitude of yoga? So in the next verse, Lord Krishna says that, Niyatam kuru karmatvam Karmajjayokya karmanaha Sharirayatra pichate Naprasiddheda karmanaha In the Vedic time it was relatively easy to decide what to do. At that time there was this vyavastha, there was a certain system in the society called varanashrama vyavastha, a system called varana, caste and ashrama, the stage of life. <clears throat> so that, therefore Vedas then use prescribe what a given person should do, which caste you belong to and which stage of life you are in. Meaning what kind of disposition of mind you have. That idea is, how do we determine what's the disposition, what's the right thing for a person to do? Ideally you should assign a task which is compatible with the disposition of the person. Everybody has certain disposition, certain attitudes, certain aptitudes. And we will be most comfortable if you do something which is in keeping with our aptitude. So that was the idea of organizing the society. We are not going to go into that, but as I said, when Vedas enjoin these duties, do this and don't do this, it is to enjoin a duty which is supposed to be the most compatible with the disposition of the person. So that person is comfortable in doing that task, he is happy doing it, so the task also you know, uh, you, you can do justice to what you are doing. When you like to do what you are doing, you do justice to what you are doing. So what you do also is best. In the process, you also grow. So this was the case with in the Vedic times. So when Lord Krishna, Niyatam Kuru Karmatvam, here Arjuna, do the Niyata Karma. So it's a Niyata do action that is to be done. That's how the translation is. Actually, niyata means nityam karma. You do the, the duty that is enjoined to you. But this applied to when? In the Vedic times, when, as I said, there was a certain organization. And therefore, person could decide what is the right thing for me to do. I can safely accept the instruction of the Veda 
or command the Veda and implement them in the life. This is how it used to be. <coughs> now it's not there. Now there is no Varanashram Veda. In the sense that that kind of caste system etc. is not there. So then, what is, how do we translate? Niyatam Kuru Karmatvam. So translation is, do action, that is to be done. Okay. <coughs> so what is, that is called Kartavya. What is Kartavya? This crew to which the Tavya Pratya is applied becomes Kartavya. <coughs> Kartavya is that which is to be done. That which is to be done. All can be translated as duty. You do your duty. What is duty? That which is to be done. In a, what is the duty in a given situation? That which is the right thing to be done in that given situation. You decide now. Formally Vedas decided what you should do. Now we cannot do, now we don't have that benefit. So now we have to decide. Thus in every situation decide what is the right thing to do. But Swami, what is the right thing to do? Right thing is not satisfying your ragadveshas, but then satisfying the ragadveshas of Ishwara. Very Ishwara Swami, how are you going to think? Doesn't matter. Whoever is in front of you is manifestors of Ishwara. Therefore, satisfy their ragadvesha. Make them happy. Basically, what is the attitude? Do it wisely. I'm, when I say make them happy, it doesn't mean that you just start distributing things, etc. Always, you must have judicious, I mean, wisdom must be there in doing whatever you do. But basically, the attitude is not simply satisfying my self-centered motives. The idea of duty is that my duty becomes your right and your duty becomes my right. So this duty-based society automatically satisfies the rights of everybody. Nobody has to make any demands because it is automatically fulfilled. Like in our body also, so many different limbs are there, different organs are there, they all do their duty. They all contribute their share. The right now the organ of speech is speaking, not for itself, for the sake of the self. The organ of hearing is hearing, not for itself, for the sake of the self. Hands are doing something, not for themselves, for the sake of the self. Legs are walking, not because legs want to walk, I made them walk. Legs are walking for my sake. Hands are doing things for my sake. See how all the limbs in the body, in all the organs of perception, they bring wonderful... See, the, right now your ears are bringing this, they, uh, this uh, knowledge, you know, perception of these words. Upanishad says, the different devatas bring gift to the self. Vishve deva upasate. Kathopanishad says, Urdhum pranamunnayati, apanam pratyagasyati, maddeva manavasinam, Vishve Deva Upasate. Says Madhya in the heart is sitting a Devata. Atma Devata, Lord, Lord, all itself is sitting here. What's the proof of that? Urdhum Prana Munnari, he throws the prana up. Apanam Pratyagasi, he pulls the apana down. So the breath coming out is called prana, breath going is called apana. Who does that? He does that. So Ishwara is sitting here. What's the another evidence of that? Vishve Deva Upasade. All the devatas are worshipping him. 
For the devatas, all the organs of perception and action are like devatas. So eyes are worshipping. How? By bringing the gift of different forms and colors. The ears are worshipping that God by bringing the gift of different sounds. Every organ of perception brings different gifts. Not for that sake, for the sake of the self. Every organ of action performs action for the sake of self. So how wonderful thing is going on in our own body. That's a spirit. Then there is harmony in the body. If everybody is for themselves, they'll be, you know, I don't think this body will last more than a few minutes. If right leg says I want to go forward, left leg says I want to go backward. Okay. Then the battle starts. This right eye says I want to look this side and left eye says I want to look that side. If they are, you know, if, if you are on your own, for yourself, there will be, when there is a right, then there is conflict. When there is duty, there is harmony. So in our body itself, all the limbs and all organs are functioning on the basis of duty, offering themselves. But you see, when you perform your duty, you write with automatic satisfaction because my duty is your right, your duty becomes my right. If both of us do the duty, if it's one-sided, then it's a problem, of course. That's how it has been in India, you know, one-sided. Women keep doing their duty and men think that it is their duty to do the duty. Whether we should do it or not is a different matter. Younger people keep on, some people, so it is possible to exploit this. When somebody does the duty, what is meant by duty? Your need is more important than my need. Therefore, I set aside my need in order to satisfy your need. That's called duty. So what is my duty toward my father or mother? I do what they need to do. So I may have to wake up early and then I may have to therefore sacrifice my sleep, my comfort and a lot of things I may need to sacrifice just to perform my duty towards them. So performing duty involves a personal sacrifice definitely. Who wants to do that? I don't care. Moment I become self-centered, then they are left hanging. There is no harmony, there will be discord. So this idea of duty, when people in the same setup like a family are duty bound, then there is harmony. Because then what every member does, their duty becomes right of the others. Then what they do becomes right. So rights are automatically satisfied. So therefore rights of all ears, all that are satisfied because ultimately what they do, you know, that is assimilation within and then the energy is distributed to the whole body. Niyatam kuru karmatam. Here you know, perform your actions in the spirit of duty. What is duty? What's the right thing to do? You are the best just to decide what's the right thing to do under a given condition. And what's the uh, criterion for what is right? right? Criterion for right is, it is my duty, my offering, my contribution. <coughs> How can I contribute in a given situation? How can I make an offering in a given situation? Niyatam karma. Niyatam kuru karmatam. Here, Arjuna, therefore, you perform niyata karma. This whole attitude is, will automatically bring about subduing of likes and dislikes. Because what I like may not be what is right. I should do what is right, not necessarily what I like. What I like is to satisfy my personal likes and dislikes. What is right is to satisfy somebody's likes and dislikes. 
And therefore, every time I want to perform duty, my own likes and dislikes have to be subdued. Observe it now. Everybody in India, everybody is of course grown in the, you know, raised in the atmosphere of duty. So we are all raised that way. So we know what it means to perform duty. As to how our own personal convenience, etc., has to be set aside for you to be duty bound to somebody else. Because their need becomes more important than your need. So you should be willing to set aside your need to satisfy somebody's need. So niyatam kuru karmatvam. This is how this karma yogi does. He does in every situation what is the right thing to do. Not necessarily what he likes to do. <coughs> we'll continue our discussion in the next class. In the evening at 5 o'clock. <coughs> Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashakrutau Vande Bhagavanta Upunapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om